You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. You're listening to episode 347 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Pauline Schnettler is an independent Ruby on Rails developer and consultant. She was an electrical engineer for many years before making the switch to the web. She just launched her first product and is excited for the road ahead. Colleen and I met at RubyConf last year and it is so great to catch up. Brittany, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So as always, Colleen, what is your developer origin story? So as you mentioned in my bio, I have an engineering background and I worked for many years as an electrical engineer. When I had children, I took a couple years off and um, when I wanted to get back into the workforce, I was really, really looking for flexible remote work. And the world I was before, I was in defense contracting, like hands-on equipment. There was no way you could do that remotely. So I had heard about web development, obviously, and I was excited to try it. But at the time, and even now, maybe even more so now, it's so overwhelming to get started. Even with a programming background, like the transition into web did feel very overwhelming. I had this dream, as I said, of being like, being able to work remotely from home. And so I really, really wanted to, um, to achieve that. So I slowly started dipping my toe into Ruby on Rails. And the literally the only reason I picked Ruby on Rails is because I was listening to some inspirational podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, inspirational podcast about how if you want to get into web development, you should get into Rails. And so I did. So I started kind of like trying to self-teach with books and the internet. And I went, I was like all excited. I went to my first Ruby on Rails meetup and there was one person there. One. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. But guess guess who that person was? Who was it, Colleen? It was none other than AWS hero, Ken Collins, who has been on your podcast before. Oh, we love Ken on the Ruby on Rails podcast. So that's amazing. Right? <laughs> it was like just this amazing, like I get there and I was so like, oh my gosh, I've made a terrible mistake. The Python room was full, by the way. And like, Ken is the only person there. And um, of course, I didn't know that he was like, you know, the world's most fabulous developer. And so um, we developed a relationship and he's been a great mentor and I started to meet more people and I got involved in open source. And then from open source, I got my first contract job. And then from my first contract job, like I uh, grew that into consulting full time. That is incredible, Colleen. I saw a Twitter thread that I'd love to get your, your input on where someone was describing themselves for years as a self-taught developer, but they actually felt that that description was kind of false because there were so many people that supported them along the way, whether it was tutorials or mentors. What are your thoughts around that? I could never have made it where I am today without the unbelievable support of this community. The first open source project I contributed to, like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where that guy who helped me through that is in the world today, because this was, you know, many years ago, but just random people on the internet who have helped me so much on this journey. I, I, I think a better descriptor would be community taught. Oh, I love community talk. That's excellent. So you did mention that you've been with Ruby and Ruby on Rails this whole time, basically your entire web development career, correct? Yep, that's right. That's great. 
So for the past couple of years, you have worked as a solo consultant, which I think a lot of our listeners will be interested to hear the details on. So first off, um, what are the pros of being a solo consultant? The pros are the flexibility. Um, You have a direct correlation between how much you work and how much money you make. And that's kind of nice because like you want to make some more money, you just work more. the biggest I would say is the flexibility and the freedom to set your own hours. You have autonomy over like what you build, who you work with, and how you build it. So I have had people who have reached out before, um, and I have turned them down. So I, you know, I have the freedom to do that. So, so really, it's the autonomy I think um, is the biggest pro in this lifestyle. How did you know what prices to set as you initially got started out, <laughs> and did you eventually evolve those as you got more and more experience? Yes, I just made it up, right? Like, so when you, I, I just feel like for a beginner, I felt like $75 an hour was was a good a good place to start. And, you know, I did that for a while and I just continued to raise the prices um, until I got to what I feel like is a comfortable level. But really, I just made it up, right? It's, it's what will the market bear? So um, I remember talking to a more senior developer about this back when I was charging like 85 or 90. And he was like, well, if you have too much work, then just keep raising your prices until you don't have too much work. And I was like, oh, that's great advice. So uh, that's what I did. That is a great idea. So then we have to go on to the flip side. What are the cons of consultant life? Oh, so I feel like there are a lot of cons. And I have a good network of friends who have also been consultants. And um, about 30% of them have gone back to full-time employment because the consultancy thing is hard. If you live in the United States, healthcare is like number one reason not to do it, in my opinion. It's also hard because you're constantly having to source your own work. So if you are not an extrovert, if you do not like people, if you do not like putting yourself out there, it's going to be a lot harder for you. I think... Um, you know, that is something like, I love people. I love conferences. I love speaking at conferences. But even just before COVID, like last year, I remember telling my husband that I was just kind of getting exhausted of having to always be out there, right? Like, I feel like I have to be active on Twitter and I have to be at all the conferences because I have to source my own work. Like, I have to keep my pipeline of clients full. That's so interesting. And I do see you on Twitter. And of course, listeners, we will definitely link Colleen in the show notes. And she does share some really great insights. You make it look easy, but you're right. That's a lot of work in the background. And one thing that you had mentioned to me before is that you were the entire pipeline, too. So like you had a customer with a very complicated DevOps situation. And so you were on call for that DevOps situation, which which is a lot. Yes. Yes, it is. You are a single point of failure. So being a single point of failure means you can't always take the time off that you want to take. Um, and, and you know, now that I'm more mature in this business, I have a couple other people that I routinely will kind of, they'll back me up. If I want to take a vacation, I'll back them up. But um, it's kind of hard. I mean, really, like there have been times even now where I'm like, man, I should just get like a nine to five job because this is ridiculous. Um, it's it's a lot of hustle. And the other thing I didn't really understand is you think like in your head, if you're sitting at home listening to this thinking, ooh, I want to become a consultant. So you think, oh, I'm going to charge $150 an hour. I'm going to bill 40 hours a week. Like I am going to be rich. But that's not 
not really how it works, right? Like the the thing you don't realize is all the business overhead that goes into it. Um, for me, a full time like I'm not overwhelmed, I'm not burnt out, like comfortable work rhythm is billing about 20 hours a week, which doesn't seem like very much, right? right. Um, but there's so much in terms of the like the overhead, like the contracts and the the you know the time tracking and the invoicing and the chasing everyone down and the taxes. Anyway, I'm ranting a little bit, but so there's a lot more involved in because you're running a small business, right? So it's not just like go to your desk, do your work. You've got to also do all this communicating and and um, things like that. So I am interested. It, it does sound like a lot. Is there any tools that you feel like maybe it's invoicing or taxing or something like that that you've come across where you're like, I don't know if I could do this without this one tool? Yes, I love Harvest for time tracking. Love those guys. Um, and it's not that expensive. I don't know how much I pay, maybe 15 bucks a month. And um, yeah, they're time tracking and invoicing. And then like every time you tra- track your time, you can add notes. So you can easily create like these really detailed invoices for your customers. And I have gone back and forth during this process where I'll have lots of clients. And when you have lots of clients at one time, like keeping track of that is just, of course, so important. Um, So that's probably my favorite one. I also use QuickBooks Self-Employed, which is like kind of expensive. It's like 25 bucks a month. But um, I use that for taxes. I do have an accountant I work with, but I still have to do like, you know, my normal profit loss stuff. So I use QuickBooks for that. So I don't love that as much, but I do find that very useful. Oh, that's good to know. So there you go, folks. Those are your consultant hot tips for for the quarter. So my last consultant question for you is whether you tend to work on Greenfield apps or do you tend to have clients come to you with an existing application that they need assistance with? It's usually existing applications. Um, Almost like 80 or 90 percent of the time, um, it's, it's something that's existing. So let's get to the exciting topic, which we hinted around in the bio. So can you tell me about the ideation of simplefileupload.com? I'm super excited to talk about this because this is my first product. So I'm super excited about it. So here's the thing I have noticed over the years is almost everyone I have worked for needs some kind of ability for the user to add files. This is becoming so prevalent in application development. And everyone has does it differently. And every solution has its own unique problems. And so my most, I was doing it, and, and so I have implemented this, this user uploading of files for like, I don't know, five, six, seven, lots of different applications. And since I'm going in there and something's usually half built, I have to use what already exists. And it's just really annoying. Like the whole process, if you think about the process, right? You've got to go to AWS, you've got to get your account, but you're not supposed to use your root credentials, right? So then you got to set up an IAM account. Then you got to set up your environmental variables. Then you've got to put in your um, your widget, whatever you want to use. If you want to use DropZone or you want to use Uppy, you got to get that configured. Then you got to get all those JavaScript callbacks configured. <laughs> And then you got to store the files in the cloud. So whether it's, you know, I've seen them all, Paperclip, Shrine, Active Storage. What's the C one? Carrier Wave. Carrier Wave. Yeah, I've used all of them. (laughs) And um, I'm just like sick of it. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I'm just annoyed with having to do this over and over and over. And 
it doesn't take a ton of time, but it doesn't take an insignificant amount of time either. Um, And also I am the root admin for all these people's AWS accounts. So when I'm working with a client, now my client has to pay their Heroku or DigitalOcean bill and their AWS bill. And so I just got, I mean, so this new client I've been working with for like eight months now, they have a lot of files and the previous developer was not storing their files in the cloud. Oh no, where were they storing them? Like in the application. Like, oh just, no. Right? I, mean, I was just like, what's happening? Like, they were, and I mean, it's it's a lot of files. Like I just, it, anyway, it's a lot of files. So <clears throat> I was like, this is not this, no, no. So I decided to build this. So I'm building, basically I was building something for my guys, for my clients and I was like, you know what? I keep having this problem over and over. Wouldn't it be nice if there was just like an easier way to add this? And so that was kind of the idea behind it because it's, it's so it's what, what do they call it? Dog fooding? Like something, a problem I've had that I am annoyed with um, that I want to fix. And so that's kind of how I started building it. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is supported by Command Line Heroes. Command Line Heroes is a podcast that tells the epic true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels who are revolutionizing the technology landscape. Season 6 of Command Line Heroes is available now. This season tells the story of Black technologists who innovated and invented despite systemic racism, unfair hiring practices, and unequal education opportunities. I just listened to the episode about Gladys West, whose mathematical models and data analysis paved the way for GPS. I thought they did a wonderful job covering her origin story and the difference she has made. Command Line Heroes is hosted by developer and podcaster Saranya Bark, who happens to be my favorite voice in podcasting. Search for Command Line Heroes anywhere you listen to podcasts. I will include a link in the show notes. My thanks to Command Line Heroes for their support. So that's the best way to build a product. I feel like you have the three things going for you. You have a known customer base of someone who would use it. You actually feel the pain yourself and you have the ability to solve it. So I'm so curious, what does the technical stack for simple file upload look like? Okay, so the cool thing is, I don't know if you've heard of Bullet Train. It's a Ruby on Rails like template that you have to purchase. Um, It's built by Andrew Culver, who is a great developer and contributor to the community. And so it's a template which basically has like, um, it has a theme built into it and it has like Stripe built into it. Just all of that little like a device is already there. All that little annoying stuff that like you have to set up when you set up a new application is already built into this um, template application, which is great, especially the theme. Cause I tell you what, like as a backend developer, whenever I, I go and I buy themes, but integrating themes into Rails is not trivial. It is not. I have done it many times. Now the last time I've attempted to do it with Bootstrap, I can't imagine doing it with Tailwind or something else like that. It's just not right? my forte. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things. I The first time I did it, I was like, oh, it's great. I'm just going to buy this theme and put it. No, it was way more painful than that. So I started with Bullet Train, which, as I said, is a like a Ruby on Rails um, template that I purchased. And then and then active storage. Um, so the file uploading and all of that architecture is handled um, with active storage. Drop zone is my UI component. And then I'm using direct uploads with active storage. That way, you know, you don't have to go, the files don't have to go through your application. And then I'm actually using for my for my um, 
file service providers, I'm actually using Wasabi as a primary storage and Backblaze as a backup storage. Oh, that's so neat that you have a backup storage. I like that. I know. I'm so fancy. You should use my service. <laughs> Super fancy. So what is the experience like for a customer? Is it at a point where you need to really be the one that's implementing it for your customers? Or can people go and sign up and start using it? So if you are a developer, like you have to have access to your your source code. So as a the idea right now, actually just on a couple days ago, just on Friday, it became available in the Heroku marketplace. It's not yet available to the rest of the world. Um, but basically, it's a JavaScript snippet that you add or a React component if you're using React. And you take that JavaScript snippet and add it to your site. And it's going to go through and it's going to take all of your input type files and it's going to replace them with drop zones. And then when the user drops a file, what it's actually doing behind the scenes is it's taking the value parameter of those input types and returning the URL of the file behind a CDN. So then you can use it like a normal form parameter. You know, it posts to your controller and um, it just comes through as a string, as a form parameter, as a string that you then save to your database associated with that user or that listing or whatever it is. That sounds incredibly easy to use. I hope so. So this is something, Brittany, I'm really hoping is easy to use. Part of the reason I built it instead of going with, um, there's many existing solutions that do this, right? Like, And actually, before I built it, I tried one and I got so annoyed <laughs> with um, what a pain it was to implement that I just decided not to use it. But I'm hoping it's easy to implement. It does require a few developer steps like saving the, you know, if you're using Rails, first you would have to add the column to your database. So like if you were using the example of like a user has an avatar, you'd have to add the avatar URL string as a, a column to your user table and um, then you have to save it, you know. But with Rails, so much of that is done for you. I think it's, I think, I hope it's not too painful um, to use. In some ways, I feel like file upload is almost like note-taking apps where there are a ton of solutions out there, but there's I've never seen the one that was like just for me. And so I think it's one of those things where I love it when people are not discouraged by the fact that there might be many solutions out there. And I like the fact that you tried other ones first, because I think that's part of product building is whether or not there's an existing solution that fits the bill. But in your case, there wasn't. And so, you know, you were able to extract the work that you were doing for your client and to create something that's useful to you. And I love that it's useful to you because then if it's useful to you, then maybe it's useful to other people. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. And and I think of it as like the other thing about these other services, um, they're pretty expensive. I mean, for what, no offense to them, I'm sure they're lovely services, but like for what they provide, they seem kind of pricey. And, um, you know, I, I describe it as like the Southwest Airlines of file uploading. Like it's not fancy. You can't, I don't currently have an API where you can resize things. So it might even be more useful. Like I'm actually using it for PDF files. Um, so it might be more useful, not for images because I'm not resizing your images for you. But um, yeah, I think, you know, worst case, no one uses it, but I use it. So it will, will, not, will have not been a wasted effort. Well, thank you for the Southwest of file uploading, because that's <laughs> definitely going to be the title of the podcast. <laughs> so, Colleen, how was your experience using Active Storage? Oh, man. Okay. So, I feel like I gave a talk about Active Storage at RailsConf one or two years ago, a couple years ago. And so, like, I feel like I am, like, team Active Storage. Like, I 
want to love active storage, but it was really a challenge for this application. And this, I want to say I was on either 5.2 or 6.0 when I started this. And oh, I mean, active storage at the time had no way of serving public images through a CDN. Like that just, it was just not designed to do that. And there's tons of like chat about this on GitHub and people are upset and you know, there's like all these patches floating around, but like, that's a huge deal. That's literally what my service does is it returns a file behind a CDN. So that was my biggest trouble with active storage was, was the fact that it was not designed um, to serve public files. If you are on 6.1, it is. So I hope to be there soon and I am excited for everyone on 6.1. So that was my biggest trouble for sure. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I feel like one backlash that might have happened is that while active storage is wonderful and I'm super glad that it got included into Rails, that there were a couple use cases missed and people heard that and thought, oh, I'm going to have to stay on the current gem that I'm using. But all of those gems, as soon as they heard active storage came out, they deprecated. And so a lot of us, I think, were kind of stuck in the middle of like, hey, I'm hanging out on this deprecated gem just waiting for active storage to, to, to support what I needed. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, that's actually what my talk was on because they were de they deprecated paperclip like immediately. Um, so we transitioned off. At, and at the time, this was, I guess, this must have been 5.2. This must have been two iterations ago. They didn't even have like image processing. So it was like rough. Um, so that was like, so the public serving of images was my biggest struggle point. And there, there were a lot of other things. I don't want to say a lot. There were other things too. Another thing is you cannot upload to different buckets. And my original architecture was gonna be to give each client their own bucket. And that is something that um, they have, the team has come out and said they are not gonna support. So that is still true. You cannot upload to different buckets. Um, so I actually, you know, architecture decisions are always challenging. So I actually patched around that and then I, I actually removed it. So now I don't give people individual buckets. Um, you know, I give them like, I, you know, like little, I don't know what the right word is, like sections, if you will. You have a multi-tenant bucket basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and the reason, so AWS only allows you to have a hundred buckets anyway. So that probably wouldn't have worked well for me anyway, but, um, that was kind of an interesting choice. And I know that in one of the many GitHub threads I read about it, they the team explained why they had made that choice. Another thing is you can't specify the key. And I really wanted the key to be in this specific format of a UUID backslash file name dot file extension. And um, yeah, so you weren't, you couldn't do that. They were just, Active Storage just gives it random keys. So I patched around that. And I want to say that with 6.1, if you are doing regular uploads, so not direct uploads, you can now specify the key. But um, that that was a problem. And see, there's still, there's a lot of ands here, I feel like, as I go through this. Um, I didn't have a mirror service. So the mirror service PR was merged in in May of 2019. So I had to patch the mirror service PR in as well. So I read more active storage code than I have ever read Rails code. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. 
Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns, like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat, so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. That is amazing. <laughs> I can just see you having this custom feed of just active storage pull requests and issues. Um, <laughs> nightly (laughs) (laughs) what's going on today but i love that because you're vested in it you know this is your product this is your first product and so it's a it's a part of your job is to be completely vested and immersed in that world yeah it completely is and i think like one of the things and that's been really challenging throughout this process is i don't have anyone i can find who cares as much about active storage as i do And so because I don't like have colleagues per se, like I have communities I'm a part of, but like no one wants to read active storage code with me. Um, And that's like one of the things I really do miss that I think I forgot to mention as a con of being a consultant since I don't have like a close knit team. I can't be like, hey, look at this thing. What do you think about that? Um, I don't really have anyone to bounce those those thoughts and like dive in into the code with me. And I do miss that. Like I miss the collaborative atmosphere of working on a team. That makes sense. So do you think you ultimately would allow eventually for a customer to bring their own bucket to your service? So they might not want to implement, you know, a a file upload, but they want to keep the images themselves. Could you see yourself ever supporting that? I definitely could support that. And I've actually even been thinking about this. The, the, I think that to make a product, you make your MVP and you immediately want to add new features. Like that's all I want to do is like sit here and add new features. I'm like, oh, I could do this and I could do this and I could do this. And I think for me, the discipline aspect here is going to be to slow down, is going to be to focus on seeing if anyone wants to use it before I pour a ton of time into making new features. So that is something I'm focused on. I would love to be able to allow users, you know, to back up their images in their own bucket or to use their own bucket um, if that's what they want to do. Yeah, I'm totally open to all all kinds of ways this can be used. Awesome. So is your ultimate vision for simple file upload, say it takes off, would you like to see yourself in a position where you're spending half your time in consulting, half your time on product? You know, I really don't know. I think, like, when I think about what I want to do professionally, like, all of the steps I have taken up to this point have been to have a product business. I mean, when I go all the way back to when I started this, like, yes, my first step was independence and freedom and flexibility and work from home. But that was truly just a step, you know, one more step to get me to having a product. And I really want to get out of trading my time for money. And I know like some consultants, some of my friends, they bill weekly, you know, they have different billing schedules. Um, But really like 
I'd like to just have a product. Uh, maybe I'll have multiple products. I don't know. I feel like ultimately I want to I want to be in the product space. Um, it's very interesting to me and challenging to me. And I love interacting with people. And I love to feel like I'm building something that some helped someone that, you know, they find useful. So that's kind of, I think, my ultimate goal as I go down this path. Well, we are certainly cheering for you, Colleen. So <laughs> as I ask all my guests... <laughs> What are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails technical communities? Okay, this is such a good question, Brittany. And I would really like to hear your thoughts on this because all of the communities I'm involved in are much more focused on these front end and or full stack JavaScript frameworks. And I am just not feeling the energy surrounding Rails that I felt, you know, five, six years ago. What do you think? Yeah, so, you know, Ruby, that was the first RubyConf I had ever been to last year. And I really felt the enthusiasm last year just because I think the anticipation of Ruby 3, I think Sorbet, and just a lot of functional programming coming to Ruby. And as we all know, Hanami 2.0 is coming. So I felt like there was a lot of wind in the sails then. I don't think COVID has helped the situation because mm. I, I feel like a big part of our community is being able to talk and be together. And I think us not being able to do that has been hard. But I've seen the enthusiasm that has happened because of RubyConf being online this past week. And I feel I feel a bit more invigorated. Oh, that's so good to hear. I didn't get to go. I hope it was I hope it was wonderful. That's what I hear. I didn't get to go either. Okay. But I'm excited to catch up on all the talks. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because like, I think just the communities I'm a part of um, are just more, I don't know how that happened, but they're just more like JavaScript focused. And I haven't really found, and again, we're a year without conferences. So I'm sure that's impacting the way I'm, you know, I'm interpreting events too. It's like, I'm used to going to two conferences a year. And so obviously I went to zero this year. So I'm sure that's part of it too. Um, Because when I do go to conferences, I really do feel a lot of energy and excitement. Agreed. Well, Colleen, how can listeners follow you and find out about Simple File Upload? So you can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Burger, And um, you can follow my product journey on my podcast, Software Social. And you can always check out simplefileupload.com. I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. Well, Colleen, it was so great to catch up. I'm really looking forward to seeing you again at a future conference. Yes, me too. Thank you for having me, Brittany. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.